Hello, everybody, and welcome to our podcast. He is Chris. He is Danny. And we are the Plotheads. This is the podcast where we talk about movies, TV, and basically everything pop culture. And this week, we are discussing the Blade Trilogy. Blade. Blade. Chris McGuire. Yes, man. Blade. When did you first see Blade? Uh, I couldn't have been any older than eight. Easily. I remember... You're too young to watch Blade, right? Oh, easily. Like, I remember watching... We were in primary school. Um, It is 18s, isn't it? Oh, it is, yeah. And I don't know who introduced it to who. Messed up shit. (laughs) (laughs) We're troubled kids. Um, No, I don't know who introduced it. We turned out fine. Yeah, we turned out okay. Watch Blade, kids. Um, But I (laughs) I fucking loved Blade. I loved it so, so much. I loved it so much. I mean, so I first, my first memory of Blade, my older sister was babysitting me. So I must have been like eight or nine. And I came down the stairs and she was watching this movie. I couldn't sleep. And I was like, I want to sit and watch the movie with you. And she was like, no, this is not, this is not a film for you. And I was like, no, I want to sit and watch it. And the opening sequence where you've got the, the strobe lighting and everybody's like dancing to this techno music. And I was like, okay, this seems fine. And then it starts raining blood. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I am going to go to bed. Otherwise, I won't be able to sleep for the night. <laughs> what an amazing sequence. What Like, phenomenal opening to a movie. Phenomenal. Like, phenomenal. To the, an amazing movie. And, and at that point, you don't know if it's vampires. Like, unless you're really. following. No. Yeah. Like, you don't know this. And then all of a sudden, bang, it turns vampires. Yeah. Yeah. I think I first saw it on TV. I think it was first oh, really? shown there. I, th- I think I really can't remember where I first watched it. But I, I remember rubbing it, it and then uh, ended up with it on DVD and watched it a bunch and then had the second one and watched that loads as well. Um, and then obviously we saw the third one too. So we got the, we got the whole trilogy. We got the whole trilogy. That, I think that is going to like sum up how we feel about the trilogy. Quite a yeah, bit. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like two that are loved and, and then there is a third one. But um <laughs> But how do we go about talking about an entire so, trilogy of movies here? That is a very interesting question. And it's one There's a lot to digest. It's a lot to talk about, a lot to digest. And it's something we've come up with a new method, everybody. We've come up with the plot method. So we've hey. got P for people. We've got L for the lore of the movie. O for orchestration, which is about the only way we could really get that acronym to work. (laughs) Uh, And T for the tech. So we're going to take movie by movie. We're going to go through and talk about the plot of each movie. Excellent. I think that's very clever. I don't know. What do you think? I think Um, it's super clever, especially because we both together came up with it. So actually, I'm going to give more credit to you, but I think it's such a clever idea that I agree with it. So (laughs) I think all the credit goes to you for just riddling off like what each of those could stand for. I was like, I really wanted to be people, lore, OST, but became orchestration, which is give even more, better. Give me more. Uh, okay, so with that in mind, let's talk about Blade One, the people, the cast, the director, the writer. Yeah. What do you think of the decision to cast Wesley Snipes in the main role? Well, I, I okay, so I wasn't familiar with Blade before this. This is my this is my blade. Yeah, same. And so I had nothing to compare it with or to say, oh, they nailed the character or something. Like, I don't know that. But what I do know is that Wesley Snipes is fucking awesome as Blade. <laughs> He's amazing as Blade. So cool, man. He's so cool. Like, and I just, he was he was just like an iconic kind of movie action star to me growing up. Um, I mean, at this point, he'd already been in like Demolition Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a couple of other movies. Like, I, I can never remember. There's one where he is a fugitive character. And I think it's called Prisoner something with a number. Passenger 57. Passenger 57. That's the one. That's actually brilliant. the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And it's brilliant. And there was loads of other movies that he was in at the time. So he was, he was a known name. And I had seen him in a couple of things. More specifically, Demolition Man. But, like, uh, for me, you know when someone is, like, there's this, there's certain roles and that's, like, their definitive role. Like, Sigourney yeah. Weaver's in loads of things, but she is Ellen Ripley. yeah. Wesley Snipes is Blade. Blade Wesley is his. Snipes is Blade. Like, that's that's just his crowning moniker performer performance for me. Um, I fucking love, fucking love Wesley Snipes as Blade. 
One thing that like really hits me about this movie when I rewatched it is how good a martial artist Wesley Snipes is. Like, obviously, he's got stunt doubles in there and he's got lots of stuff, but there are some shots that, to my knowledge, that is Wesley Snipes. Yeah, and I am super impressed with some of the kicks and some of the like movement that he can pull off. I think I was really impressed by how good a martial artist he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so he's playing. He is Blade, right? We know yeah. this. We love this. And then we've got his right hand man or his father figure, as it yeah, were. Yeah, Chris Christopherson. Mr. Chris Christopherson. I'm named uh, after him. Are you really? No. No, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. But it gave me great comfort to know that out there there is another Chris with a K. <laughs> Chris with a K. I was like, oh, look, see, it is a fucking real name. Because I was told for a long time by many people that I don't know how to spell my name. Probably me as well. <laughs> I probably said that to you. I, I don't know, like, yeah, whatever. It, no, it, it didn't bother me when it was people like my age or whatever, right? It was more, <laughs> no, like there was like adults telling me as a child that I don't know how to spell my name and like, oh, that's to, harsh, like actually. scribbling it out and then correcting me. And I'm like, that's not my, like, it's on my fucking birth cert. <laughs> oh, wow. I never, so. I've never experienced that because my name is Danny. It's very, everyone's right. Good. Right. Well, some people spell it with an I, it gets a bit annoying. Uh, oh, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, cool. So Chris Christopherson as Mr. Whistler. Um, what a great character, right? With this gruff old man that has just been hunting vampires for years. And we don't know. That's it. That's all we know about him. Yeah, he's just this sort of mysterious elder character. And like, I love that kind of tough love sort of relationship between the two of them. Where Whistler would probably never say on screen. I don't know if he ever does. I don't think he ever says like the words, I love you. No, he would never. But you can see that there is a like a father son love between oh, the yeah. two of them, even though yeah. they probably they drive each other nuts. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I, the relationship is great. But so I imagine that, you know, like what's great about this is this is an origin story in in a sense. You know, like this is yeah, in some respects yeah. of Blade. But they skip out that like the detail, so we don't really know how Blade got his training, how Blade found Whistler, how like they they mention it, but we don't see it or experience it's very it. reminiscent of say tim burton's 1989 batman we understand in that movie you yeah. understand why he's doing what he's doing um and that it's early years of sort of the career of the character yeah but they already are we don't have to skip we don't have to spend time with that they're already a badass they're already mysterious and then they've got this sort of mentory fodery character brilliant very yeah. similar let's just get but it it's great get it done bang let's do this yep and then we have the the big bad of the movie mr steven dorf brilliant i think he plays as deacon frost like yeah what a brilliant character he's like a slimy like he's a gangster and he's like a slimy gangster and you're like you're kind of like oh you little shit you know he's not he's not like the obvious big bad guy of the movie is he? he's not like he doesn't no. present himself as being overly smart or overly powerful he's no. just like this vampire who's on a mission and and he just gets away with it he, he, he strikes me as like in, in and there really is sort of a mafia or gangster kind of vibe to the the uh, vampires in this movie in this first movie Re- in particular and yeah. he strikes me as like the kind of gangster or mobster who's like working his way up the ranks yeah, to become yeah. the, the mafia the, boss the like the young whippersnapper who's who wants to be yeah. in control of things yeah uh, way before his time yeah and just and wants it now can't wait needs yeah. it now needs more power and uh, yeah just uh, and just a really well written villain and i did i really liked this because you never suspect it based on how he looks and his age but the fact that they played with the notion of the fact that vampires are immortal they don't age yeah therefore like you would never look at him Played by Stephen Dorff. And like if he was an old, much older character, then you might suspect, oh, he has something to do with like Blade's origins. Yeah. But because yeah, yeah, he looks young. He looks younger than Blade, right? He looks younger than Blade. Yeah. You yeah, don't, yeah. For, not for one second would you think, oh, this guy is like responsible for oh, yeah, creation I, of Blade. Yeah. That's because brilliant. the immortality thing goes over your head until then when it's said and you're, you know, you meet Blade's and mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope people at this point have seen Blade because oh, yeah. they're spoiling the fuck out of it. And if you haven't seen Blade, stop what? listening to this and go Jeez, watch Blade. Go watch Blade. What are you doing? You're person. missing out. Um, um, so, yeah, he's great. And I love the modernization of vampires in this movie. I think it's, and he's a prime example of that, but they're not like the vampires that we grew up with. No, at not all. at all. And then you've got in Bush Wright, who plays Karen, who's kind of like the main 
uh, the main female character in the movie. She is, uh, but she's also the audience. She's right? the audience, yeah. Which is which is really clever, right? Because you didn't have to make Blade the audience. You didn't have to make Blade the rookie. Yeah, you could experience. You could have all your questions answered through this other character. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like, um, and I suppose like this movie draws a lot of comparisons in terms of like style and action with the likes of the Matrix, right? Yeah, yeah, big. But time. the difference here is, like, in the Matrix, it's very important that Neo is the audience because we are being shown that this world around us isn't real in this movie it's very important that the badass action hero is not the audience because if he was and he didn't know how this shit worked the badassery would be taken off him and, and the movie you wouldn't make sense to, actually it wouldn't you have to give that to a civilian yeah. that he can explain because what he does to that's a really good point because the yeah. journey in this movie is not about like starting out as someone who doesn't know anything and then ending as somebody who knows much more yeah and going on that journey this movie is is a is about blade kicking vampire ass <laughs> actually know? my mind is just kind of blown here right now because I, I i i just see another comparison with tim burton's batman and maybe it was used as an as a like uh template or something or maybe they were like this is the standard we want to yeah. get to but because in that movie, in a similar way, like Batman is the badass action hero, and we actually don't follow him all the time. He, he it's it takes a long time before you even see Bruce Wayne. Yeah. We are actually introduced to the character of Vicky Vale first, that and Vicky so Vale is the character who is the audience who oh learns God. who Batman is. Oh my God! This is Tim Burton's Batman, but in the nineties, <laughs> Tim Burton's Blade. Is, it's nearly. It's nearly exactly 10 years later. This is 1998. This is 1998. And Tim Burton's Batman was 1989. It's nearly like the decade movie later. Wow. And and the other thing to like <laughs> that you touched on there was like this movie was being made at the exact same time as The Matrix. Mm-hmm. And like looking back at um, rewatching this movie, uh, there was like, I was like, this is so much like the Matrix. I, and I was really like, did this steal a bunch of stuff from the Matrix? Because right. obviously the Matrix is like the the be all and end all of like the late 90s goth gothic kind of movies. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when I researched and found out that these were being made at the same time and they've got so many similarities. It's crazy. They've even got that slow motion bullet shot. You know, they've like got the slow motion bullet shot. Both the, the main characters. The leather coats, the shades, the techno coats. music, the gothic vibes. It's really it's weird. I, it's, it's it's really interesting how like I suppose art imitates life because obviously that's what people saw. Yeah, mid early mid and late nineties. This is what was happening in terms. This is of this is the and style. this is the period of Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, The Prodigy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this period, and it was all coming into the the culture of movies as well. It's it's just it's it's really interesting that these things as well were happening at like the same time. And then, and then, so that it is super interesting. Uh, and then that kind of like sums up the main roster of characters. But you've also got uh, Donald Logue, who plays Quinn, who's I yeah, think yeah. he does a great job. And actually, I love when he pops up in things. He, he's never. Really I remember him from character. a sitcom, but I also remember him. He actually does very good Harvey Bullock in Gotham. He does a great Harvey Bullock in Gotham. Whatever about that show, I wasn't great about that show, but he was a great Harvey Bullock. That show, I that I have a soft spot for that. You have a soft spot. I know, I, I know. I, I know. bought <laughs> it for what it was. And I thought it was great. Yes. Um, yeah. You've got uh, Udo Kier as Dragonetti, who's like the leader of the the under underworld uh, of vampires, vampire mod mob boss. Uh, yep. He's great, and like we'll talk a little bit about that later. But like how he dies is phenomenal. Mm. Um, and then mm. you've got a uh, Tracy Lord, so I just want to touch on really quickly because it's uh, like quite an interesting story of a human. Yes, um, yeah. who plays a character named Raquel, who it was kind of like. Deacon Frost's right-hand woman. Um, right. And Tracy Lords is really interesting because Tracy Lords has been in like hundreds of pornographic movies. And she started her acting career as a porn actress. But what's even more interesting um, is that she lied about her age. Oh. Um, and she said that she was two years older than she was. So she was starring in pornographic films from the age of 16 until she was 18. Oh, and then Jesus, supposedly, really? uh, like around the her 18th birthday, somebody tipped off the FBI that she was operating 
you know, she was underage and she was yes, yes. making these films because she was a huge porn star at the time. So apparently, it um, was a big deal then. It was a big deal. So the FBI basically got in contact with her and said, "You can't make pornographic movies anymore." Um, and apparently, she ironically she had just turned legal. Um, That's so crazy. So, like, so that must. So she then went from living that experience, which must have been unbelievable um to she joined an acting school and then became a, a a screen actress and then she ended up in this movie um and i just think that is such a fantastic like story story yeah. to, well, it's to wild from, it's absolutely wild because as well it's it's a in in blade uh with all respects to her she's a, a side character and it's not someone that you're going to linger on but it just goes to show it's like like how many people in these movies have like these interesting roads or stories where yeah like you would never even guess where they started or where they came from how, or how did these people yeah end did... up where they were yeah that's like you Phenomenal, never think yeah. about that because you know we all think about Wesley Snipes in this case where he has a huge action career and everyone was well aware of who he was and and where he went but yeah you just don't think about everyone else in the movie so that's that's cool so so there you go uh, and then I think we should move swiftly on. Um, to the lore of the movie so the plot of this movie i suppose is we are following the main character which is blade whose yeah. job is, he is the day walker day walker so he, he I, i've never fully understood the logistics of this but he was mm. his mother was bitten the night he was born so he wasn't fully turned into a vampire but he survived the birth yeah and had all the positives of being a vampire um with none of the negatives except he still has a thirst for blood Yes, which interestingly in the comics um, is not the case. So in the comics, See, I, yeah, and I didn't know this. Dude. Uh, basically, I think he's like maybe belonged to like this family or this clan that is dedicated towards killing vampires, but he doesn't have any of these kind of superpowers. I think he's his main superpower in the comic was that he could sense supernatural abilities. I remember seeing a picture of a cover of a comic. And I don't know how old it was, or maybe it was an origin telling, but it was like the least, it was Blade, but yeah. it was the least Blade thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and it was like, it was this little nerdy looking kid with glasses on holding a wooden stake. Oh, I, was, yeah, I know exactly. I know what you're that talking one? About. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that's just maybe a origin story where it's yeah. like, oh, this is like Teenage Blade, or whether that's like Teenage a version Blade. of Blade. Before before the movie made him this well, badass, I don't know. The movie made him this badass, made him this daywalker, made him a vampire, and then I believe the comics took that and went, "This is actually cooler," and you know, people love this, so we're going to yeah. integrate that into the into the comic book character. And that happens, and that happens a lot. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it happened with Harley Quinn in the and mm, for Batman, who's one yeah, of the yeah. most famous comic book characters of all time now, but she started off in the animated series as a character created by Paul Dini. So it's it's just really interesting that the evolution you know, of these things yeah like sometimes they originate in the comics and sometimes they originate in the movies or the, or the cartoons it's cool what, the what like interests me about like the i suppose that it is the lore of the blade movie mm. is that the, like it creates such an intricate world so like seamlessly and quickly like introducing us to this rave that everybody at that rave bar that one guy is a vampire yeah it's fucked <laughs> up right and like it's it's literally a blood rave and then you're like oh my god this is terrifying and then blade comes in and just starts ripping these people to shreds uh and you see when he kills one they disintegrate and man that's done oh, so well disintegration is amazing to me what's so cool about the lore of blade one which carries on into the others as well but uh is the whole mythology of vampires being real and being integrated into society they actually run aspects of society and like if you were ever going to stop and go well that's not believable you know if there were vampires we would know someone would know the fact that yes the people who know are actually their familiars and are paid yeah to like cover it up or to be then it's like oh fuck like you know maybe we, we could maybe be living amongst, we're living amongst vampires and they yeah. actually run the world or something it would be crazy obviously we don't but the, the, those kind of possibilities where you stop and you go, I can actually buy into this world. Yeah. I can buy into it. I can believe it and I can go with it. 
then it's like you have me now on this ride. And that's where like the character of Deacon Frost is really interesting as well, because he's like a mm. part of this underworld that, yeah. like you said before, is very mafia, very like we're we're we are running our raves. We're we are well, actually they're they disapprove of the raves, but they're running their businesses. Oh yeah, he runs them, doesn't he? But he the runs the raves. Like, they're yeah, they're like either, yeah. they're because it draws unwanted attention. But they're running their businesses. They're they're have their political powers. They're doing all these things that gives them power and safety in in their little underworld where Steve Dorf's character comes along and he's like no we should be ruling these people yeah. like they are our cattle they are our food source why do we fear them so much and it's kind of it's it's never really touched on on how that relationship happened because i'm sure at one point vampires might have ruled the world i don't know yeah yeah, and like, uh, yeah, or, or, and if they didn't, if they were hiding in the shadows, how did they get on top? It's a, uh, it's interesting. And there's probably plenty of fan fiction out there or even comic books that are kind of tie ins with the movies and things where people have probably explored that further. Like, how, how did we get to this world where vampires run society and not even everyone knows? And not everyone like, knows. Where did they come from? And where? why are they not the dominant species? Yeah, like why are they kind of hiding about it? Even though they have a lot of power, like they they they're stronger. They've got political power. There's lots of them. We know there's lots of them. Yeah, it is if, interesting. Uh, if you had the opportunity to be turned into a vampire, would you go for it? No, no, me I either. don't think so. I think I think the whole thing about having to feed off other people to survive and put you off would be the big put off yeah yeah uh, and also not being able to like oh, fuck that. the fangs like, would put me off yeah yeah oh, i just I, I like my teeth the way they are no yeah. i i um i i love sunlight as well like i, I my favorite time of year is summer i i would hate to, that i couldn't go out in the sun that'd be oh well, so now that you said that i would just want to bring up that moment where uh udo mm. kier's character dragon eddie uh is captured by deacon frost and he brings him to like this pier or a beach and he's like ties him up and he pulls his fangs out yeah and then he says you're about to see a sunset i know you've never seen one of those before because you were born a vampire and it was like that twist of that character believed that being a pure blood vampire was the most powerful thing but you have deacon frost going actually i have life experiences that you can only ever dream of yeah, yeah, and, and I've had yours. Strips as well. the power away from him. In just that strips moment. the power away from, him. and then the sun comes up, and he just disintegrates and explodes, and it's like, wow, that is a way to get rid of somebody. It's a wonderful scene, and it's really, really powerful and kind of really gritty and dark as well. Like, and, it's, and you kind of feel sorry for someone who is like actually a horrible person. Yeah, yeah, and then you know he he walks into the like vampire council and throws his teeth. Yeah, uh, throws the fangs on the on the on the table and everybody's like okay you're the new boss yeah so what is like, what is what a statement straight like, away they're terrified don't fuck with me yeah. the great thing about all of that is it's just building up this and you don't really get this as much uh, in the other ones which we'll come to but in in that first movie and in that plot there's this real thing of like blade and deacon frost being like arch enemies that are like on this collision course yeah parallel eventually monster. when they're gonna hit it's like this guy is a fucking animal but this guy is also a fucking animal. It's uh, an unstoppable force meeting an, immovable, an immovable object. object. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's just it's really well done and really well paced. Yeah, absolutely. And and the, like you said, one of the best things about it is is us living through the Karen character, and you know, her she discovers mm. this cure that unfortunately doesn't work on Blade, but can work on people who've been recently turned. And that yeah. then, like you said as well, that lore kind of sticks through for the next couple of movies. Um, yeah, it does. It comes up again. Yeah, and it's all really interesting. And then you've got that, like the the other thing that's great about this movie is like the kind of range of vampires that we see. So mm. you've got the pure bloods the likes of the Dragonettis. Uh, and then you've got Stephen Dorff, who's like was turned at some point, but he's still a super powerful um, vampire. And then you've got Quinn, who's like has super regenerative capabilities, more so than the rest of them. Because like... Yeah, it seems really stressed, doesn't it? Yeah, because Blade like talks about, I've chopped him up. I've hit him with a train. I've done this. I've set him on fire and he's never died. Um, yeah, yeah. So kind of reminds like, me of the whole Rasputin myth. Very Rasputin, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, and it's like it's like 
really interesting. So, okay, why has that happened? And then you've also got that like really fat vampire. Pearl. Pearl, yeah, yeah. The scholar. That or whatever, scene yeah. is so weird. Like that is like. It's weird. It's gas, and it's it's dark and kind of strange. Geek and you bastard! <laughs> it's it's like uh, Pearl. I have the sense to die with some fucking dignity. Yeah. <laughs> is that what he says? I something think he like says something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. says something like that. Yeah. Um. I, yeah. It's Karen. It's like yeah. If 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 he moves, fry him or something like that. Yeah. And then I I don't. I think he says something like no, don't touch that or something like that. And Karen just like burns the fuck out of him. <laughs> and Blade is actually surprised, and she's just like. He moved. He moved. Like, badass, Karen. Brilliant. Badass. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then of course you have that whole confrontation where you find out that Deacon turned Blade's mother. What a fucking! And then Blade's mother is like into it. Yeah, and you're like, what? And like, this is like, that's one of the things that's really interesting. And 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 this, I don't know if that's like I I know that Blade's mother as a vampire is a character in comics and in cartoons, right? But I don't know, like, which came first. This is like that chicken egg thing. I don't know which I, one. Yeah, that's I, I'm not sure which one came first. Um, I'm sure people can correct us on that. But this is like so interesting to me because this is where like the parallels that I could draw with Tim Burton's Batman. Go- this is where it dives off. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to ba- pull something out of the bag here. No, no, no. Because Batman's trying to avenge his parents who are definitely dead. Blade is trying to avenge his mother and finds okay. out that she's not dead and then has to reevaluate what he's fighting for awesome brilliant that's fucking awesome like and then what how does this how does this movie end so i mean he i actually i can never remember what happens after he kills steven dorf's character which with all the things that make him explode right yeah that make him swell up and explode it's kind of it looks weird but anyway um i can't remember what happens after that is it like like him and karen have a scene of talking or something like that but it just sort of and then it just fades i i doesn't he show up uh, at some club? Oh no, that's what it is. It's in Moscow. Yes, yes. And it's implied that he's now in Moscow hunting vampires. But yeah, basically, yeah. it's like, it's like it's the whole thing of like Blade will return or like, yeah, yeah. Because the, the, the journey continues. There was that deleted scene, wasn't there? There was a deleted scene, um, on, and it's on the DVD if you can ever check it out, guys. Where there was a character and he looked awesome. He was like robed. He was on top of a building, and it was going to be the original ending, kind of like an OG end credit scene. And it's not in the movie anymore, but it was supposed to be Morbius, which and, would have been phenomenal. And the sequel was going to be Blade versus Morbius, essentially. But that didn't come to fruition. But it was a cool idea. Um, and then so we could should we move on to the, that that's a good segue into the sequel then i mean we we could very quickly touch on the the orchestration and the tech of of blade one the music is i mean every yeah, I bit think, of the music suits it perfectly yeah i think in this case there's not going to be much to say about the music for each movie but the like this i suppose this goes across to the three of them it uses techno really really well so well and Perfect. and just the the action sequences are always pumped uh, I reckon kinda... if Blade was made today, yeah, or no, not today. If Blade was made like five, ten years ago, it would have had dubstep everywhere. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. And awesome. I don't know if that would have been like dubstep's cool, but I don't know if that's as cool as '90s techno was a different kind of special. And '90s techno, it, but it, yeah, it, it was special and it captured like yeah. the '90s so well. It did, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, like kind of across the board. There's a little bit more orchestra in the third one, but the other two, they both have like just this badass techno soundtrack. Yeah, so it's awesome. In terms I mean, of tech, in terms of tech, I mean, the CG in this film is really good for the year it was made. Like that, those dis- yeah. disintegrations are brilliant. The disintegrations in particular are standouts. I think the, I think like the practical effects are also really good. You know, like the vampire teeth, they don't. L- Sometimes in Blade, it looks a bit like he's wearing false teeth. Mm. Like it's taking up more space in his mouth than he's comfortable with. But yeah, yeah. With most of the other like vampire characters, it all seems really natural and it's like really well placed. Um, and then the props are brilliant. I mean, that sword is amazing. And even Pearl looks brilliant. Pearl looks amazing. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, very it looks cool. really, really good. Yeah. I think the only uh, bit of special effects at all in that first movie that doesn't work for me is just when Stephen Dorff's character, Deacon Frost, is being killed when he's starting to explode. That always looked really cheesy, even yeah. then, for me. So there's a 
but that's that's it really it like the rest there's a of story is... behind that as well apparently like initially he was meant to like evolve into like the blood god and just be a man made of blood that's also like... on the dvd oh is it you so can apparently... watch a rough cut version of that wow okay apparently that looked absolutely atrocious and they had to like recut it really quickly and re-edit yeah. it and i think that's probably that's why true. it looks a bit naff at the end Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure if they had more time, they could have pulled it off because everything else in this movie does look good. It's not, And it doesn't, like, you can forgive it. You really can. You can live past it. It's fine. It's just the final death scene. It's a bit cheesy, a bit weird, but it doesn't take away from the overall gravitas. No. of like, And the, the overall gravitas is that it's a fucking kick-ass movie yeah. that is amazing and has spawned two sequels. And that kick-ass re-absolutely continues into the sequel by Guillermo oh, del Toro. So much. The sequel by Guillermo del Toro. Like, can I talk as well? Uh, obviously, we're starting uh, uh, in terms of plot. We're starting with people, right? Um, yeah. And uh, you know, we don't have to talk about the characters who are returning here. But just behind the scenes, there we mentioned del Toro, but also David S. Goyer, who's the writer on this trilogy. I think did a really, really good job in specifically with these first two but did a really good job with writing a, a world and writing lots of interesting characters. Um, and look, people know his work as well from the Dark Knight yeah. trilogy and Man of Steel and stuff. He's, he is a good writer. He's done a, like Blade 1 and 2 and even like a lot of concepts in 3. Yeah, elements like, of 3 for sure. He's created like a really in-depth mythology that I think he does like a really good job that films don't do enough of anymore, which is where they just say, this is how it is. Let's move mm-hmm. on. Yeah, like you know, take like, it as it is. It's like we're just going to show you this vampire underworld. We're not going to go into exactly how they've managed to control everything, exactly yeah. what's going on. But you know that these guys are not to be messed with by the way, the what, how they dress, the room they're in, whatever it might be. So it's like that kind of like it allows us to create the story in our heads, and I always really enjoy that kind of thing. And speaking of characters not to mess with, this fucking crew in Blade Two. Oh. who were put together and trained to take on Blade. Right? Yeah, man. They're fucking cool. They're so good. They're like the the, the guardians of the vampire galaxy. <laughs> uh, in a lot of ways. You know, it's like... Let's, yeah. or, like or the Expendables. The or... Expendables. They're the Expendables. Of the, they're the vampire Expendables. Yeah, just like the, the, the best of the, the best. Or, or the worst of the worst, if you want. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Maleficent and Seven. What, uh, what, a, what, like, what, like, a little cast of those guys as well? I mean, you've got Ron Perlman, who yeah. plays Reinhardt, who's, like, their, like... De facto leader. Kind de of facto thing. leader, who I don't have... I didn't have this memory, but when I rewatched the movie, is a Nazi. Oh, you know, I've never clicked that, but now that you say it, I'm like, I don't not see it either. He's, yeah, yeah. So I, he's sort of like a fascist kind of, like a white supremacist. And a, and a white supremacist. He says some like really awful things to Blade. Uh, and Blade, like, Blade calls him Adolf at one point. Uh, but he always, look, I, I, while I never caught that aspect, I always caught that the character was a dick. Yeah, and he yeah. plays him, Ron Perlman plays him really well. Ron Perlman plays him so well. And then, like, so he's like the leader of the gang who's, sure that he could take on blade and actually when they first meet and blade's like you want to go like you this is what you've been training for like let's do it and blade's like and just starts slapping him around the place and then catches him puts a bomb on the back of his head and he's like there you go move and i kill you Um, you've got lenore varela as nisa who i yeah kind of an enjoyable character blade kind of falls in love with her and you kind of start i think it's an interesting character um especially because she kind of exists here to highlight the possibility that maybe not all vampires are inherently evil even though i i like the idea of vampires being bad guys and for the most part they are in this world but maybe it's like there's there's an aspect of like okay i need blood to live does that mean i'm totally evil or is it just like, yeah. like, like, is a tiger evil because it eats a gazelle? You know, the, for a moment you can stop and go, that's and, kind of interesting. To and she, it that way. And she kind of pushes that a bit as well. Cause she was like, I, Blade says something to her about being evil. And she goes, I'm, I'm not, I just am like, I am what I am. And I've accepted that. Yeah. And, that's um, interesting. And it they don't is, linger it on is. it too long. Like they don't, no, again, they don't that's push what... this big, like, uh, cause that's a, like a Yahweh quote. They yeah. don't like, push that but it's just there and if you want you could read deeper and that's what's so good about 
David Goyer's writing is certainly in the first two is that he doesn't push this in your face, but he gives you the elements of it that mm-hmm. let you kind of, if you want, I'm sure you could go down a rabbit hole all day about yeah. theories and, and the mythology and the background for all this. Um, and then you've got, I had no idea. I could, I know I, like Norman, fucking Norman Reedus plays as, a little shit. As in this good. Movie. Like, good. I, I like the weird thing is like, I remember that character. Me too. Like, I've, I've watched this movie like a hundred times. And then I remember seeing Norman Reedus in The Walking Dead, obviously, which is where he yeah. got really famous. And never clicked that that never. was that guy. Even, never. I, Until I, I, I went back and checked yeah. the cast and I went, oh, really? Yeah, because I haven't watched Blade 2 in a long time. Oh, okay. So I rewatched um, all three of them for this. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it in a care. while. I like I have a good memory of it. <laughs> but I just... I just did not click that that's Norman Reedus. Yeah, and I was like, oh my God, that's Norman Reedus? Like, nuts. What, that, and that must have been one of his first roles, right? Like, our, our like, first uh, kind of yeah, I, breakout. I, I, it's 2002, I think this movie was made. Yeah, I'm not fully familiar with his overall career. Yeah, me either. Because for me, he kind of, he was in a couple of things and then kind of really just popped up in Walking Dead and started being amazing. Yeah, and it, look, he is actually great. He's great. And in this... Is this a great performance? It's a fine performance. The car- he does exactly what is needed it's, of the character. It's, it's grand. Like, yeah, he does, it's you know, grand. He does what's needed. Um, but can I say, for me, the characters that steal the show in Blade 2 are the Reapers. The Reapers are brilliant. What an awesome concept. The, to have something that vampires and, are afraid of. I suppose, in a way, these by talking about these as characters, they also, because they're part of this setting of it, this is going to start bleeding into the lore. Yeah. So maybe we ought to like bridge these two now or start moving into the lore. But the Reapers is a concept like coming on going, right. We have a first movie where Blade is this badass who kills vampires. That's brilliant, right? You could for a sequel, just do more of the same. Or it's like, what if the vampires need Blade's help against something even worse than a vampire? What a fucking cool twist on on the whole scenario! Brilliant, right? Like absolutely, just genius. And then to put him with this roster of characters that, like, you know, Where you've got they both want to kill each other. They both want to kill each other. Neither of them trust each other, but they all have this common enemy. And it's like the enemy of my enemy, right? It's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and like this, you've got Donnie Yen is in there as what the, the snowman who's like snowman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought, what amazing! You've got like a, uh, you've got Danny John Jules. Who I do you ever watch Red Dwarf? Yes. So he played like the cat in Red Dwarf, who I always thought was a vampire because he's got fangs. Oh. Uh, so when I saw him in this movie, I was like, is he re- is he playing his Red Dwarf character? <laughs> um, but Maybe he's inspired by. <laughs> he, uh, when him and um, Nisa are introduced, that like scene where they like sneak in and they like try to assassinate. Or they fight Blade. Yes, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, really, really cool. So then, yeah, let, let's just swiftly move on to the allure of this movie. Yeah. The fact that you now have these vampires fighting the Reapers. And their mouths are so cool, so creepy. With such good practical... I imagine that's a practical effect because it looks so real. It looks really real. And the other thing is, this is a thing that I absolutely love about the Reapers in this movie and it kind of ties into like sound design and stuff. They used a coyote sound effect right. on the Reapers. I didn't know that. And this sound effect has been replicated in other things. It just so happens that a coyote sounds so fucking creepy if you put it on a humanoid thing. Ah. It sounds, oh, it's like horrible. But the, they, the Reapers are creepy out. And the fact that they all look pretty much the same which is the difference between them and vampires. Like they wouldn't actually be able to hide. Yeah. But when you have a horde of them as well, like they're so fucking freaky. I also, I like, they're quite zombie like in a lot of ways, aren't they? Like it it does have a lot of that kind of, uh, it's a bit like a zombie movie. It is a bit like a zombie movie. And I quite Mm -hmm. like, I quite like, um, Nomak who's like the main. Yeah. He's the leader, right? I like that he's, got his wits about him and he you know like he's not just turned into a mindless monster no he's a pack leader right wasn't the plot essentially is that they were trying to replicate blade 
Uh, right? So that vampires yeah, could yeah, walk yeah. in daylight. Yeah. Um, because that would, you know, drastically change the way they live their lives. Yeah. And in doing so, or in, in an attempt to do so, they created Nomak. Yeah. And a new vampiric, like, virus. But that was a mistake, wasn't yeah, it? He got out and that. To... He didn't want them to get out. He wanted to that, kill them off. That's why they wanted him back, but they actually wanted him alive. Which is why Nomak is trying to take down the vampires. Yeah, it's a cool, it's actually a really cool plot. Really cool, really clever, and like really just fun. Like the idea of having, it's a good time. like, it's <laughs> it's a fun time for all the family. It really um, is. <laughs> bring your kids, folks. <laughs> bring your kids, folks. It, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, it's just genius. And I think this is like one of Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro's like breakout movies, I think. Uh, I think. Yeah. Like it was one of his first big blockbusters that did really, really, really well. Um, and you can see his style kind of creeping in. And interestingly, it's just dawned on me because he directed um, Hellboy, right? I know he definitely directed Hellboy 2. I, I, did he direct Hellboy 1? They have very different style aesthetically yeah, to those true. movies. Because in Hellboy certain. 1... There's the scene, sorry to get caught up in this, but Ron Perlman obviously plays Hellboy. He does, yeah. Hellboy 1, there's a scene where they're in the sewers. Yes. To like blow up a bunch of eggs. Yes. And like all the Samuels. Yes, the Samuels, yeah. Are oh like, man, we're going to have to do an episode on Hellboy. Oh, I love, yes, we're doing an episode on Hellboy. That's a yeah. great idea. Yeah, um, and then all the, they're all trying to kill Hellboy and they're like fighting them off, which is very similar to the sewer scene. Yeah, it really is, and there's there's kind of a few movies that, um, that came around in the early two thousands that kind of fit in with this blade identity. Underworld is another one, where you have these like leather jacket wearing badass action heroes fighting lots and lots of hordes of monsters and sewers and things. Yeah. Where it's, whether it's werewolves or reapers or Samuels, whatever, um, and it was just it was it was just a fun. Those were like the superhero movies at the time. These yeah. monster hunting movies. Well, this is and this is a superhero movie. Superhero I'm not movie. taking that away from us. People forget, like this is Marvel's yeah like first big superhero on the big screen movie. Yeah, um, and it, it was Blade. Of all the characters they picked, it was Blade. And I, it, it this laid the groundwork for the MCU in a lot of ways. This was a very successful franchise. Oh yeah, I mean, hasn't Kevin Feige worked on pretty much either in the background or whatever? He has worked on pretty much every single Marvel movie. What a genius of a human. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he just, he learned from all these people that he worked with. He's been there since the beginning. He's seen the talent. He worked a lot with Avi Arad, who was the, the producer of all these, you know, oh, okay. he, he was the producer of Blade and, and X-Men and Spider-Man and, and Daredevil. Uh, like the original Marvel state of movies, which were self-contained universes, but they were working their way through them all yeah. until, of course, Iron Man. And then from then on, it's a shared universe. And then, but, you know, I think they learned a lot because a lot of those movies have, were not received very well. Um, a yeah. lot of them done yeah. well at the box office, but critically, were maybe like Daredevil did not do very well at all. Um, so they, what a, that that's a that's a that's a sin. <laughs> <laughs> so they probably, but they learned a lot along the way, and that's the great, yeah. you know, Marvel. They learned they've been they've been doing this for a long time. So when they, they sure, yeah they have Man, they were like, let's hit let's hit it and hope for that's, the best. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, so out of the two, yeah, Blade One, Blade Two. Yes. Which is your favorite? I, I I dip between the two. Um I don't want to give like a cop-out answer. But I, I feel like this is one of those like sometimes you can't beat the original. Yeah. Right? And sometimes the sequel is leaps and bounds better than the original, right? Sometimes it's like, oh my god, it only got better. And then it's never really like it tends not to be the case that the third one is the best or whatever, right? <laughs> no, but and, and definitely in this case, but like, and I'm not trying to be rude there, but like, it it does tend to happen. Um, these two movies are genuinely like in terms of quality on par for me. Yeah, but for totally different reasons. I prefer the action sequences in Blade One. I think it's a badass action movie. Yeah. And Blade 2 is a little bit creepier. And yeah, that zombie movie vibe or that kind of B-movie horror thing with yeah. like a team a team of people slowly get picked, picked off in the off, sewers. Yeah, yeah. And I love that kind of shit. So I enjoy them for very different reasons. I think though, maybe, maybe this is a way to do it. The better Blade movie oh. is Blade 1. Okay. Whereas the better movie 
I'm not sure. They're kind of on par as just movies. Ah. But the better Blade movie then is Blade One. It's a better yeah, exploration of his that's character. Probably a good way of putting that. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think certainly like before I rewatched them all, if anybody had asked me, I would have said Blade Two is my favorite. I just I love that whole roster of characters. I mm. love the introduction of the Reapers. It was scarier, which I was like really enjoyed. But having rewatched them, just Blade One is a powerhouse of a movie. The martial arts is amazing. The action is yeah. amazing. The storyline's really great. The the effects for the time are phenomenal. I, so like. I think for me, Blade One inches it out, but like you said, they're very, very close. Yeah. And it, so, where then on the scale of of fantastic movies do you place uh, Blade Trinity, Chris? Oh yeah, Blade Trinity. Well, you see, I have another special place in my heart for that one. Uh, it's you know the very bottom pits of my heart, the depths of hell. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I I hate Blade Trinity. I really hate it's it. It's not good. I don't is even. It? It's yeah, such I, a disappointing movie. I don't even like it. I don't even like have like a guilty pleasure for it or like I have no desire to rewatch it. Um, I've seen it a bunch of times, so I'm not yeah. like basing this on one watch. Um, but oh man. And the thing is, I re- I'm not like totally just writing it off. I recognize the inside here. <laughs> no, but I recognize that there's potential in the movie. I recognize that there's, there's some moments. interesting there's concepts. Moments. There's yeah, moments. Yeah, yeah. Like the thing where um, if I could jump straight into the plot, yeah, yeah, for a second, right? Um, the thing of like they find that homeless people are yeah. being taken in, no one knows and that they're farmed. missing and they're being farmed for vampires. Brilliant. And then you have like human familiars who are actually justifying it and saying, and actually, in this movie and in this world, the yeah. human familiars are like more powerful than previous. So, like, there's a there's they're a higher ups, there's a chief of police, there's like yeah. that. And, and they frame Blade and you're like, oh, it's quite genius, actually, that the beginning of this movie has lots of clever ideas. I wish they had continued down that line. Yeah. A gritty story where the kind of human element or the human servants of vampires figure out a way to take on Blade is the best part of this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. For me, uh, sort of like a almost like noir David Fincher thriller with, featuring Blade. Yeah is kind of cool like even if they had like some private detective who was like trying to who was like tracing blade like that would have been really sick yeah this whole thing of like this team of fucking children (laughs) (laughs) the night stalkers who make family guy level jokes in a movie about a vampire hunter just fucking pisses me off i so like that's Ryan Reynolds as Hannibal King is one of the only saving graces of this movie for me. Yeah, and I know is... you hate him. Yeah. Oh, uh, hold on. I don't want people thinking that you hate I his character. Hate Ryan Reynolds, right? No, you hate you hate Hannibal King. Yeah, I do. I hate Hannibal King. I for me, it was like this is a bad film, but I think he's doing a re- he's given a really fun, interesting performance. Yeah, and and he, like he was so quick and ahead of everybody else around him that. It, it almost it doesn't work because of that like mm-hmm. but at the same time some of the insults he comes out with I just thought were hilarious oh yeah I just don't want that in a Blade movie and to me that no, just but, pulls like, down the Blade experience but I get what you're saying like uh, like it's kind of a double-edged sword in that yes what he's doing is funny and it's like the movie is so dull and uninteresting that if there's some funniness maybe that lifts or gives it a bit of levity but, but at the same well, time, the funniness is what drags the movie down, is adds to dragging the movie down for me personally. But as well, like this movie was riddled with issues. Oh, like, 100%. I, it's not all, I'm not putting it all down to that. Like Pat, Pat Oswald, who plays Hedges. Hedges! <laughs> in the movie, he was one of the Night Stalkers. He, he's, he's like said before that Wesley Snipes was off his box on this movie. He refused to right. come out of his trailer regularly. Yeah. Um, and. And he was for, apparently he smoked a lot of weed. And when he did get to set, he was like not very useful, didn't want to be there, and refused to say some of the lines, and then just made up his own lines. And apparently, it got so bad that they were just like, "Can we just get Wesley Snipes stunt double to do the majority of this movie, and then we'll just do close crazy, isn't zoom shots on Wesley?" Absolutely crazy. But uh, you can tell watching the movie at every point, Blade looks like he doesn't want to be. There. Well, yeah. actually. 
at the start of the movie, it feels pretty much like a Blade movie. Yeah. Right. The music is a little bit different, but and the presentation is slightly different, but it yeah. feels like a Blade movie. This this one's then, directed by David Goyer as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was the only one where he wrote and directed it, which is interesting. And um, apparently, Wesley Snipes and David Goyer did not get on. Right. And I think yeah. that's clear. Yeah. Yeah. I think well, as soon as the product. I, I, to, right. Wesley Snipes is a producer on these movies as well. Right. Yeah. And I suppose in his mind, he's like, I am Blade. You're not making these movies without me. I'm <laughs> Blade. Right. In a similar way, it's like, remember Tom Hanks was doing interviews where he was talking about like Toy Story. Yeah. And he was revealing stuff with Toy Story 4. And they were like, Are you allowed to reveal this stuff? I was like, I'm Woody. What are they going to do? Like, you are not going to replace Woody. Anyway. So in a similar way, I suppose he's like, I'm Blade. Blade is not like a Bond character that gets replaced with different actors. I am oh. the only Blade, at least at this point, or for this version of the character. Yeah. Um, so I can see why he would be pissed off with these elements that he totally doesn't agree with. Yeah, which is where when these other characters come into it and the movie changes tone, it changes style. It, yeah, and he doesn't gel with them. At the, wonder... There's no chemistry. There's chemistry between the Night Stalkers. I'll give him that. There is, yeah. but there is no chemistry between them and Blade. I wonder though whether that was a symptom of him being very difficult to work with. So they ended up relying on people like Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel a bit more or whether I, that was how it was. Yeah. And then he was so belligerent and hated it so much. Cause I, he has been quoted saying that like everything was forced on him, the script, the cast, yep. the, the supporting characters, they were all forced on him and he didn't have a chance like, well, and apparently he sued them because he's he didn't agree with his co-stars getting way more time or lines. Than oh, him, really? Right now, I think you're right on both those counts. Well, I, I, I don't. I know. think I think he wasn't happy with it. Yeah. Right. W- w- whatever state it was originally in, and so he was giving less and less because he didn't give a fuck about it. Because he was giving less, they did have to bulk up. They were like, maybe, yeah. Ryan, do you mind doing even more because we're getting nothing yeah. into the content here? And then by doing that, Wesley gets even more annoyed. And the more annoyed he gets, the more they, you know, and it's like this it's a vicious circle. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That never ends. So I, I, I feel very like possible. it comes across in the movie, I feel. Because like the idea of like introducing Dracula into the world of Blade is quite fun, you know, like. Oh, oh yeah, you're shit. thinking Blade versus Dracula. How, Blade like, versus this is, this is badass. Hit me, right? But then the Dominic Purcell who plays well, Drake is mm. he does not carry the gravitas that yeah. Dracula should have on screen. Um as well, I this is for me personally, you know, I I am all for reinterpretations and and redesigns and stuff. I'm yeah. not against that at all. I do not see Dracula as a hip hop artist. No. And that's that kind of vibe and that look didn't gel for me at all. It was very like when I saw um Jared Leto's design as the Joker. Yeah. Again, I'm like, there's loads of versions of the Joker that work. There's not only one version. He can be a clown, he can be a psychopath, he can be like there's loads yeah. you can do. But when you've gone too far in a wrong direction, it shows. It's and in this case and in that case, yeah. it definitely does show. It does show. He's yeah. got no charisma or gravitas or no. And this is Dracula. He's. I'm not. Just. I don't care. No. Like he, he never stole the show in and the he scene absolutely where should. There's like there's a little girl. Um, yes. Yeah. He's like one of the Night Stalkers, and yep. there's a scene where he kidnaps her and he has a conversation with her, and she Shh. acts. Better than him in every line. <laughs> like I believe 100%. what she's saying a million more than times than I believe whatever he's saying. Yeah, um, I do. I did like like I did like the idea of the Night Stalkers. You know, like it could have been fun having like you've got like the Hannibal King character is like this, you know, mouthy gun for hire. You've got Whistler's daughter who's a badass in this movie. Jessica Biel does a great job, I think. Um, yeah, and then you've got the. Uh, the blind like scientist uh, character scientist yeah. played by Natasha Leon. Uh brilliant, like really enjoyable. And they kill her off and it's like that is actually like, oh, that's awful. Like yeah. this is really terrible. You feel for her daughter, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And and then you've got Pat Oswald who's like, I just like when he shows up and things I'm like, no, oh, there's Pat Oswald. Like I like Pat Oswald. Definitely. Yeah, he's good fun. Um I feel like 
Um, a lot of potential, but just you, a lot of potential. But you can also have too many things and too many characters. In this case, honestly, I think the dynamic would have been perfect if it was, you know, Whistler dies early on in the movie, and it's like it's fine, but it's not as dramatic as it was in the first movie. Yeah. Um. Also, it's cheap because it's it's cheapened. Yeah, yeah. You've experienced it before, but honestly, watching then a movie where Blade has to interact with Whistler's estranged daughter and he's the son that Whistler raised having to spend time with the daughter that Whistler didn't raise and they have to kind of come to terms with missing Whistler. That would have been enough of a focus, just the two of them. (laughs) Absolutely. And you know what? They don't even touch on that, really. They They really don't. I am clutching for... I am literally like pushing the good shit out of this. (laughs) That the movie does not capitalize on at all. Um, uh, yeah, in anywhere form. And that would have been a really interesting, clever story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. So that was kind of, that was, well, that was a mix of the people and the lore in, in, well, in Blade Trinity. Yeah. And um, uh, I will say in terms of tech, special effects and everything, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. It looks great. It's fine. It yeah. all looks fine. There's nothing, nothing stood out at the time when it was made. It wasn't like, doing anything particularly special but it all looked fine i wasn't at any point did i go that looks cheap as shit like it looks fine so now that we've talked about all three movies (laughs) all two movies and blade trinity (laughs) yes yeah, yeah, yeah how would you date the blade trilogy the dating scale This is the part of the podcast where we date the movie to rate the movie. So, Chris, Blade Trilogy. What? Yeah. What's your What's your night like with Blade Trilogy? Yeah, this is a difficult one because there's there's three here. Um, but if I was to take it as kind of one experience, I suppose. Uh, for me, it's kind of like um, we went on three, we went on three dates. Right. Right. Yeah. First date huge success we started off in a club and i didn't really want to be there and i was kind of uncomfortable and it was kind of scary and it was loud and then suddenly blade (laughs) found me there and made me feel safe and good and he was so cool and you know told me all these cool anecdotes and i wanted to hang out with him and i kind of was trying to copy him as well and i was like i kind of want to be this guy i was kind of looking up to him he was pretty cool and he was taking me to all these cool places and we had a good time we had a great time actually and all i want to do is just revisit that night because it was just so much fun. And then the second time we meet up, there's a whole bunch of new people hanging out with us. And I was like, oh, I kind of just wanted to hang out with Blade. But then I was pleasantly surprised because all these other people were cool, too. And so I was like, oh, this is great. Like, your your friends are, I don't know if they are your friends, but they're awesome. So let's just all have a good time together. And uh, we went to some dark, creepy places. But ultimately, I always felt safe because Blade was there. <laughs> And Blade was always consistently cool and awesome. And I felt like he had my back. Nice. But the third time we met, some oh, time no. had passed. Oh, no. We'd become a little estranged. He wasn't the same. It was like he didn't want to be there. And as a result, I didn't want to be there. The energy mm. was all off. And I just wish we could go back to those first two dates. Because he was there was a whole bunch of people that were made hang out with us that I didn't want there and he didn't he didn't want them there either it was like i i think he was um i think blade this time around was uh given back community service and part of the rules were that he had to hang out with these other kids and i didn't want to hang out with them and unfortunately it meant that our last hangout together was tarnished it wasn't a good one Mm. but i will always cherish the memories of our first two hangouts and i will always go back to them with fond memories that's very beautiful chris Thank you. For for me, a date with the Blade trilogy mm. is like imagine kind of you meet up with you meet up with Blade and the Blade trilogy, and you're like, oh, what are we gonna do tonight? And we're like, don't worry, we've got some awesome things planned. So we, we like go to an arcade and we're like playing games and there's like amazing noises, and we're winning teddy bears, we're winning prizes, and we're like playing arcade games and, and and pinball and we're just having the night of our lives. We're having a fantastic time. And then as we're like enjoying ourselves there, we look across and we see there's like this haunted haunted house kind of like hall of you know like 
scary house kind of thing. We're like, oh, let's go yeah. check that out. So we go in and while we're there, I'm like, I'm a little bit like a little bit more on edge. But eventually I relax into it and I enjoy myself just as much as I did in the arcade. You know, like we're, we're I, I'm jumping and I'm like, there's all these different weird things and there's new creatures coming at me. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy, but I love it. And then we, we get out of that experience and actually we're both a little bit tired. We're like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty, I could, you know, I'm, I'm a bit tired. And then Blade is like, no, no, no let's keep going. Let's keep going. The, the night's not over yet. And we're like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's, let's keep going. Let's go. Let's go get something to eat or something. Um, so we go and we get some food and the food's a bit crap. And we've kind of run out of stuff to talk about. And I feel a little bit ill and I'm tired. And actually all I want to do is go home. And I kind of wish that we could have just left it on a high, you know, we right. left after the haunted house and, and said, that was a great night. I'll see you next time. But instead we pushed it too far. And, and that, that's what we ended up with. It was just a, a sour, sour taste at the end of the night. I actually, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think that's a perfect like allegory for the whole experience. <laughs> I really do. I, th- I think that's like the perfect way to look at it. It's like quit while you're ahead. Doesn't, doesn't ruin the whole thing. No, but does just leave one bad taste maybe yeah. in your mouth where it's like, man, we had a it really good been, thing going. It could have been something special. It could be perfect. Yeah. And I'm sure people can point out a couple of other trilogies where they felt the same way. Spider-Man is one of them as well. Where you're like, yeah, you were nearly there. It's a nearly perfect trilogy. And then you have that third messy one. Or oh. The original X-Men trilogy is another one. Yeah. Yeah. It was the, the old movie trilogy curse. Yeah. Really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Really interesting. And then, yeah. so, I mean, we've talked about Blade. We mm-hmm. love Blade, like ultimately. Oh no, ultimately, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't want anyone to movies. think that the negativity at the end is uh, like the final thought on Blade. Yeah. Absolutely um, not. Love Blade. But one of the reasons we're talking about Blade mm-hmm. is because Disney have announced a reboot or, or mm-hmm. a remake of Blade. Yeah, yeah. Um, starring Marshala Ali. Yes. What do you think that's going to be like? Are you excited for that? I think it's slated for a release in 2022, but I'm not I'm not sure. I never ever thought that we would get a Blade movie in the MCU. But to me, I was like that's never going to happen. Yeah. It doesn't belong with those characters, so they're probably just never going to touch him. And I was like that's crying shame because he's so awesome. When that was announced, and I think it was announced on a stage originally with like lots of other properties that other people probably cared way more about. Yeah. That was the one I gave a shit about. Yeah. That caught me off guard. I was like, oh my God, they're doing that. And when they announced that Maharshala Ali is playing Blade, I cannot think of a better, I genuinely cannot think of a better replacement to Wesley Snipes than that guy. He oh. is so cool. He's a fucking fantastic actor. Yeah. Like top tier actor. And I think he's just going to absolutely exude the coolness that needs and, and the charisma and the style that needs to come with Blade. So. Interestingly, he was already in, well, the Marvel Universe. Right? That's right. He was he's... in the Luke Cage show yeah, as, yeah, as the villain Diamondback, I think he's called. Yeah, yeah. And he's so good in that. Yeah, no, he's brilliant. And I, I'm glad that they don't see that as like, oh, shit, we've already cast him. We can't use so him. We can't use him again. Yeah, yeah. What, because... what kind of... I'm a bit worried. I'm a bit worried about it mainly because I think if they're going to try to integrate it into the MCU, yeah, it's it's not going to be an R-rated 18s movie. I think it, they're going to really have to dumb it down, yeah, uh, and take a lot of the violence out of it. And I think what I a part of what I love so much about the original Blades is is the the action, the violence, and the gore. And I'm mm-hmm. a bit worried that's going to go. Yeah, I I think like it's it's hard to know whether this will be. I like I don't know if this is this is going to be a different experience to the first two Blade movies, right? It's yeah. not it's not going to be like that. I do think it's probably not going to be R-rated. I really hope I, it I, is. which is a shame, right? Um but like have the MCU done an R-rated movie? They have R-rated shows, but they haven't done an R-rated movie, right? Well, the closest is the MCU. It's not MCU, but no. the closest thing is Deadpool. Which they own now because they bought. Yeah. And I think that Deadpool 3 will be R-rated because they want to keep to the spirit of what that those first two movies are. Yeah. But they have no there's nothing tying them down for this blade reboot that it has to be R-rated. And what do you think? What kind of if you if I said, Hey Chris, mm-hmm. we're rebooting Blade. Yeah. What's what's your what's your story? 
Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, I think, I think you could do because um, you want to do something kind of different, but you also want to keep the spirit of what people expect from Blade, right? Like, for yeah. example, if you do a new Spider-Man, yes, you can do another take on it, but ultimately you have to touch on the with great power comes great responsibility, and you yeah. got to touch on some of the similar themes, or like with Batman, it has to be the dead parents thing, right? Yeah, there's some that's things pivotal around the character. Some things are pivotal. I think there's a room to actually focus on Blade's mother as a primary antagonist and that he is actually looking for her specifically. And because before they did the twist, there's no point in doing that again. They've already done it and they did it well. This time, maybe his motivation, at least for this first movie, is that he is specifically looking for his mother and tackling with the notion of having to kill her. Maybe he's trying to hunt her down. Yeah. I think that could be an interesting mm. first movie that gives it a little bit of an emotional pull or core uh, punch to it, where it's like yeah. he doesn't want to do this, but he has found way too many victims at her hands. Ooh, that sounds good. I think that could be a cool hunt, like a, re- a, a reluctant hunt. That could be cool. Sounds great. Now, what about you? What would you do? Oh, I don't know. I think... It's got to be something original, right? Like, it mm. can't just be a rehash of any of the Blades again. But like no. you said, you have to touch on certain themes. I have a feeling, I wouldn't do this, but I have a feeling that Disney's going to go with an origin story. Going to go with the like right. evolution of Blade, how he, when he was born, how he, when he like lived on the streets, when Whistler found him, if they're going to introduce the character of Whistler, and then getting mm. him to, being to the place of being the badass martial artist blade um, right right i think that's probably how they'll go with it because i have a feeling they might be able to integrate that with some of the other mcu movies a little bit better and i have a feeling he'll be introduced in another mcu movie yeah um, and then very we'll possible get, I, so we'll get like the finished blade in another another mcu movie and then he'll be in we, we'll get his origin story in his own his own movie with that in mind, actually, mm. the MCU are wasting an opportunity, right? If they don't, not necessarily Blade, they're wasting an opportunity if they don't introduce Storm in one of the Black Panther movies. That would be amazing. That'd be a really good way of starting to introduce, slowly start introducing X-Men characters before yeah. you get to that X-Men movie. How great would it be if Storm was Wakanda? I think... She, well, she, the thing is, she—I don't think she's Wakandan in the comics. She could, of course, be in these movies. Why yeah, not? Yeah, yeah. But at one point, she was T'Challa's wife. Yes, I remember that being a story. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I think introducing—and she is uh, an African character. I think introducing Storm in the Black Panther movies is a perfect place to introduce her. I oh, really interesting. I, I'm actually—I'm quite. This is a topic for another podcast i think because we're running the end of our time yeah, yeah no no 100%. But, uh, i'd love to hear from other people as well and see what they think they're going to do a blade absolutely but i i am also really interested in how x-men how they're going to introduce the x-men into the mcu oh yeah, yeah and i think exciting. that is going to be that's a conversation for another time but i i'd love yes. to hear everybody's thoughts um i think we're going to wrap it up there because we've we've droned on for quite long enough i think um, absolutely so thank you very much for listening. Uh, let us know what you think of Blade. Which Blade movie is your favorite? And actually, in general, what what's your favorite vampire movie or portrayal of vampires? Um, as always, don't forget to check out Chris's other podcast, which is uh, The Brothers Take, where he talks about video games with two of his brothers. Um, thank you to Clara Booth for the amazing artwork that she's provided. And thank you to you for listening once more. And until next time, he's been Chris. He's been Danny. And we've been the Plotheads.